everybody. I'm Jessica. And I'm Allie. And this is Killer Conversations. And we're back. Yay. Yay. It's episode three. So that's fun. I'm sure we'll come up with some sort of creative name for it once we're done having an awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. It'll be a funny one, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bussin' bussin', right? Get a bussin'. <laughs> anyway, so just a couple of clarifications from our last episode. I was listening to our episode and I realized that I never said the full name of Sarah Beth McCoy's murderer. I called him Trip, like we're buds, but we're so not because I have no idea who this guy is. But I don't think you should be friends with him anyways. Yeah, fair. Um, Yeah, for sure. Anyway, so his name is Zachariah Trip. And that way you have all of the information that you need. And so my bad on forgetting that. Also, I talked about how Sarah's mom came home and found her CD player and found out that stuff was kind of weird. And stuff. It was actually her dad. So like her dad came home first and then her mom. So a couple little things, but apparently I couldn't read last week or speak correctly. So that's my <laughs> bad. So anyway. Those are my clarifications and updates. Do you have anything, Allie? Mm-hmm. Good. See, you're better than me. I'm doing good. All okay. right. Anyway, so this week I'm going to talk about the serial killer, the package killer, which is a terrible name. Um, yeah. It's just not good. Like, if I was ever a serial killer... I would want a cooler name. I know. Than the package killer. Like something cool. Yeah. I don't want people to make fun of my serial killer name. Right. Same. Yeah. No, it's it's really bad. And you'd think it'd have something to do with packages, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't. So. So what's the point of the name? Well, I'll get there. I mean, they had a reason, but anyway. So it's the package killer. Um. Again, I kind of I don't know if, if this is something that I'm going to keep doing or if it's just what pops up on my newsfeed because mm. of my location is just murders and, and cases and unsolved cases from this area. Mm. Like, so the Midwest is kind of where my stuff has been staying mm-hmm. is in the Midwest. And so this happened, this took place in St. Louis, Missouri, which is not as local as the last one. So it's on the other side of the state from us. And in St. Louis, uh, there was a murderer, which they have dubbed the package killer. So the package killer murdered at least four people in the early 1990s in St. Louis, Missouri. So he was known as the package killer because the bodies of his victims were found packaged in different containers. So there were several victims and their bodies were found inside different things. And it was kind of weird, but we'll talk about that. So his victims were mainly sex workers who were abducted from Cherokee Street in St. Louis, where they were working. So unfortunately, like many sex workers who've been murdered, the media didn't take a lot of interest in these murders at first, not until there were multiple murders with the same MO, manner of death, disposal of the bodies. So when these bodies started showing up and they were all last seen on the same street, they were all packaged in some strange way, Mm -hmm. then the police really kind of got on these cases. And so... A lot of these women were reported missing, and then they were missing for quite a while before anybody found anything. And so 
that seems to be kind of a, a trend with people who work in the, in the sex industry, which I used to always used to say prostitutes, mm-hmm. but I was listening to a podcast and, and it's like offensive to call people who work in the, yeah, in the sex industry prostitutes. Um, they prefer sex workers and he, you know, I'm not, we're not here to judge. So yeah. like if that's what you need to do in order to survive, I mean, that's what people do. And so don't want to offend anyone by calling yeah. them something it, derogatory. Honestly, something that always bothers me about when sex workers get murdered is that people just don't care. Like they aren't people. Right. Like just because you have a job that society doesn't think is okay doesn't mean that you're not still a person and you still deserve justice. So it honestly just makes me mad when no right. one takes their cases seriously. And it happens all the time. It is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I cannot stand it. And these people cannot help if they've had a crappy life or mm-hmm. if they've gotten hooked on some sort of drug or if they can't afford diapers yeah. or, I mean, they can't help that. And I mean, it's just, it, it, but so anyway, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the victims at first. I'm going to kind of start there and then go in to the whole murder stuff. So I'm going to start talking about the victims and because I think it's insane that people who work in the sex industry are not seen as human. I kind of want to humanize these victims. Well, I don't want to kind of humanize them. I want to humanize them and just explain that they're people and they had their own lives and they had their struggles and they had things that they're going through. And no matter what people are going through, they don't deserve to be discarded. And so the first victim I'm going to talk about, and these are not in chronological order because I just kind of, started going. So the first victim I'm going to talk about is Robin Meehan. She was an 18-year-old sex worker who was murdered by the package killer. So according to the Riverfront Times, Robin grew up in Tower Grove East and later in Bevo with her mom. She attended Cleveland High School in Dutchtown. When Robin was a teenager, she and her brother Tom became heavily addicted to crack cocaine. So this was right in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic. And so they became heavily addicted to cocaine. And when Robin was 16, she gave birth to her first child. She had a daughter named Sandra after her mother. She became pregnant again with her second child not too long after. And her second daughter was born in March of 1990. So two weeks after her second daughter was born, Robin was reported missing. And four days after that, she was found dead. It is so sad because that baby was, I think, two weeks old. It is so sad. And she's a mom. Mm-hmm. Like, usually when, like, moms get murdered who, like, people think are like, oh, that's an okay job, then everyone's talking about it. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to talk about her and her story. That is ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So the night Robin went missing, she and her brother were hanging out at the house where her escort service was located. So she worked for this escort service, and they operated out of this house. And so they were hanging out at this house. And the night was slow. Nobody was calling in for escort business. And they had run out of cocaine, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robin was going through some withdrawals. So she was having a cocaine withdrawal. 
And so she wasn't in a great place to begin with. And her brother said, I told her to take a Valium and come down and crash. Tomorrow's another day. But instead, she went to the stroll. So the stroll is the red light district. The Southside Stroll ran along South Jefferson between Broadway and Chippewa on the south and Cherokee to the north. This was the city's red light district where sex workers went to find work. So Robin and her friend Faye decided to work the stroll that night instead of sleeping off the withdrawals. They had this system that they used for safety. I mean, when you're in the sex worker business, you're not, you can't always guarantee your safety because you're going off with strangers, obviously, but they tried to make it as safe as they possibly could. So they had this system and they used it for safety. And so one of them would get picked up by a man to go work and have the man drive around the block to where the other was waiting in a car. And the other one who was waiting in a car would take note of what the man looked like and what the car looked like and the license plate and stuff like that. So they kind of knew what kind of person or at least what the person drove and what the person looked like that they went with. So, however, that night, Robin went around the corner, but never made the drive by to check in. So she never drove, had the guy drive around the corner. And so Faye waited two hours and then returned to the house. She thought it was weird that Robin never did the drive by, but she thought it was weird. But they figured she got in to a car with someone and forgot to check in because of their lifestyle at the time. So like she was going through withdrawals. They were like heavily reliant on drugs and they think that she just wasn't in the right frame of mind or like the same frame of mind that she normally was in. Mm -hmm. And so on March 26, 1990, Robin's body was found along Highway 61 and Highway E in Silex, Missouri. Her body was found sandwiched between two mattresses. She'd been reported missing four days earlier. An autopsy revealed that she had been strangled and that her hands were bound together. So she was bound and sandwiched between two mattresses on the side of a highway. So whoever found her, like, was probably just saw some old mattresses and was going to clean up. And then there she was mm-hmm. in between the two mattresses. That's and so that's one, like, that's one of the victims. The next victim I want to talk about is Sandy Little. She was 21. So Sandy Little grew up with her mother, Carolyn, who, according to people who knew her, was intellectually disabled in some way. So when she was younger, her mom remarried Robert Talbot, who took care of the kids and provided a stabilizing influence on the family because he married Carolyn and realized that she couldn't really take care of her kids because she wasn't quite all there. And so after Talbot's death in 1980, Carolyn lost custody of her kids. And Sandy ended up bouncing through the foster system, eventually becoming addicted to drugs and turning to prostitution um, to meet the daily expenses and make rent money. So at 20, she gave birth to a baby boy and moved in with the baby's father and his mother. She's a new mom as well. So in 1990, Sandy was raising her son, supporting her drug habit, but she was also trying to get clean. She was trying to get steady work, but continued to work on the streets also. So even after people kept turning up dead and she had been warned of the dangers, she said she still needed to buy formula. And so she had to work. So she said she needed to take care of her kid. And so she still needed to work. She still needed the money. Mm -hmm. Sandy was reported missing on the Tuesday after Labor Day weekend in 1990, but would remain missing for nearly five months. On February 17th, 1991, 
A security guard at the General Motors plant in Wentzville was heading to work on I-70 through O'Fallon, Missouri, when he saw a strange box on the side of the highway. It looked homemade and interesting. So he went, he picked it up, and he put it in the back of his truck. Apparently, like, that was something that he did. And I don't know, if you live in the city, I don't know if this happens in the city, but I I see stuff on the side of the road all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I know that there are people who, like, will pick stuff up. Yeah. If they think it looks interesting. So this wasn't really weird to me. I can see how it would be weird to somebody, but it, yeah. it's not weird to me that someone would stop on the side of the highway and pick up a cool looking I mean, I personally wouldn't box. stop on the highway and pick up a box. I wouldn't either, but I know I can think of some people that I know that totally would. Mm-hmm. You know, so later we find out that it was, I think it was an old dresser, but he had oh. taken out the insides. When he got it in the back of his truck, he realized on his way to work that there was like a smell. And when he got to work, he realized that there was fluid leaking out of the box. So he called the police. And when they opened the box, they found a severely decomposed body. The only way they could identify the body as Sandy Little was from the x-ray of a broken rib she had done before she disappeared. So they matched that x-ray to Sandy's mm-hmm. body. Uh, on Sandy's body was the uniform for the fast food restaurant where she worked. And she had this cap on her head that was from Ticker Title. And investigators believed that the hat didn't belong to Sandy and they considered it their biggest piece of evidence. They tested it for DNA, but nothing came back. Like they didn't have any records of anybody in the system or anything like that. And it was 1991, so like DNA was kind of, you know... It was kind of a new thing. They can't get as much off of it as they, they can now. Yeah. And so that was Sandy Little. Donna Rittmeyer is the third victim. She was 40 years old. And Donna's new body was found June 11th, 1990, inside a rubber trash can on the sidewalk along Gasconade Street near South Broadway. Her body was too decomposed to determine the cause of death, but signs of violence were located. So there's not a lot of information on Donna's whereabouts prior to her murder, According to a brief article in the St. Louis Dispatch, Donna was a sex worker who had been reported last seen on June 3rd in South St. Louis on her way to meet a customer. So the reason they connected this one with the other two murders is because of where she was last seen. So they were all Mm -hmm. last seen in the same area near the red light district. Mm -hmm. And so she was found inside a rubber trash can. So we've got... Robin, who was found sandwiched between two mattresses, mm-hmm. and Sandy, who was found inside a dresser. a dresser, like a hollowed out dresser, and then Donna, who was found inside a trash can. The fourth victim that they definitely connect to this killer is Brenda Jean Pruitt, and she was 27. So she had been missing for nine months before her badly decomposed body was found inside a plastic trash can discovered by a jogger who noticed that it was smelly and they found it in October of 1990. So authorities believe that she had been smothered or strangled. There's little information about Brenda's whereabouts before her disappearance. She had no history of being a sex worker and police are still unsure how she managed to become a victim of the package killer. Like they're super convinced that she was a victim of the package killer because of the way she was found and they must have some kind of other evidence, but she didn't fit the same sex worker profile as the other victims. Maybe he, like, evolved. Because, like, I know when people like, start off, like, killing people, usually they start with, like, small animals. And then they can get to, like, sex workers because like, they're easy. They're access. easy, yeah. 
So then he could have like evolved into something else because it would have made him feel like the rush. Because usually that's what they mm-hmm. like is like the adrenaline rush. So that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. There was so little information about her as a person. Her family refused to speak to the press, and her body is buried in an unmarked grave at Calvary Cemetery. Oh, that is so strange. So there's not a whole lot about her. A couple of other women, I mean, they were described as, you know, like, lights up a room and she walks in, which is always a red flag. Mm-hmm. If you light up a room, watch out. No, I'm telling you, like, it's always all the murder victims. It's like, if she lit up every room, she walked in. I'm like, if I'm lighting up rooms, that means I'm about to get murdered. I know. That's why I'm so, just mean to everybody so that I'm not lighting up no rooms. <laughs> I won't be a victim. That's right. That's right. You can't be too nice and you can't light up anybody's day because you're a murder victim. Don't light up rooms. <laughs> Anyway, I think like the timeline here, she she's one of the earlier ones. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of weird to me oh. that she's different, but she's not one of the later victims. There's not a whole lot about her, which is, is weird. And her family just like, I don't know, because they said that her funeral and, and burial expenses were paid for by the Archdiocese of something mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And so she's in an unmarked grave. Her burial stuff was paid for by the catholic church and so like what happened to her family i wonder maybe he like started off like killing her and then she was like or he was like oh she's too high profile i can't Mm -hmm. keep doing that and then he moved to the sex workers maybe or maybe it's a cover-up and he didn't actually get her Mm. maybe it was her family and that's why they're being so secretive Mm. 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 the last person they connected with the package killer was Sandra Kane. And so on May 12, 1991, the body of 37-year-old Sandra Kane was found on the road along Interstate 44. An autopsy wasn't able to confirm the cause of death, but the authorities believed she was either hit by a car or thrown off an overpass. Oh my word. So Sandra and Sandy actually knew each other. They worked together as sex workers, and Sandy had warned Sandra not to go with a man in a station wagon. For some reason, Sandra's death is connected in some way that I don't understand to the other package killer victims. But that was in the reports that I read was that she was one of considered one of the victims and she died before Sandy. And she was one of the ones that died and then was the warning for Sandy to not Mm. go out and, you know, do her thing. How was their body found? Like, how did they connect it? Um, like was she? I mean, she was just in the ditch, in the same mm. stretch of road. She went missing from the same place, but in her injuries and stuff. I mean, but she wasn't like in a package, so I don't know. And I don't know that he confessed to her murder. Mm-hmm. But I'm giving, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, I feel like because wasn't that one girl who nobody thought was a sex worker? Wasn't she the first victim? Yeah. So, so, trying to think how that would make any sense. Because she was in the rubber trash can or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't? The other one wasn't? Right. So, I feel like if he wanted to do that, like, that was Maybe she thing. tried to fight. Like, maybe Ooh. she tried to fight, tried to get away, mm-hmm. and he, like, hit her with a car. Or she put up a fight. And then he chased her down and just ended up throwing her over. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like maybe she tried to get away. Maybe she mm-hmm. fought. 
I don't know. I feel like they have to have something. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been reported that she was one of the yeah the victims. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I mean, anyway, these are the victims. Their stories deserve to be shared because originally the media didn't give much time to these murders due to the fact that they were sex workers. And sex workers are usually victims that are in situations already that are higher risk for violent crimes. And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, they put themselves in that situation, so they have to know the risks. And that's, you should be able to do things and not get murdered. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're doing something that I wouldn't do. Yeah. You should be able to go about your business and not get murdered. Mm-hmm. That's valid. I feel like so, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like so, too. I feel like it is, like too. Like, you should be able to go to Target and just not yeah, be found murdered, like, a week later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, get off the school bus. Mm-hmm. Or go run go through a to gym. The gym. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, they began to follow these murders more when more murders began happening and with the same MO and the same disposal method. So, they start having all these women who are connected because they're sex workers, who are connected because they're sex workers on the same street, who are connected because they're being found dumped on the side of highways in different containers. And so they're like, well, maybe we should look into this because this isn't just like one person or two people. It's three, maybe four and so on and so on. And so it's sad that it has to be that way. It's Mm -hmm. sad that there has to be so many people who die before, before they, they start looking into it. And so they look into it and they have, these murders happened between like 1989 and 1991. So not a very long time span. And Mm -hmm. Police were left with little evidence, different causes of death, badly decomposed bodies, like just, you know, they didn't have the testing they have today and all this. So the police were left with little evidence, different causes of death, badly decomposed bodies. The science wasn't where it is today. So in 1991, the FBI joined the investigation, identifying a 35-year-old St. Louis resident as a possible suspect. This man had been accused of torturing and raping several prostitutes. They interviewed him, but he denied responsibility for the murders. Having nothing to prove his involvement, the man was cleared. And as far as my research goes, they didn't report his name. So How is he not in jail if he's been accused of torturing and raping innocent until proven guilty? That's stupid. Why are you out of jail? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. How are you walking the streets? The streets? You should be behind bars, not on the streets. (laughs) That is stupid. Indeed. You should be behind bars and not in the streets. They better not report his name. I'll find him. I'll jump him. Make sure he's not walking in the streets. <laughs> I'm putting him behind bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. You better pray he doesn't see me in a dark alley. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, the case goes cold. They've got nothing. They've got some DNA, obviously, but it's 1991. So, yeah. So they've got some DNA, but they're like, well, these sex workers have been murdered. We've got a serial killer, but what are we going to do? And then the murders stop, and so they are like, okay, we'll just keep the case open, see what we can find. 
So in April of 2022, after 30 years. You're joking. I'm not joking. That's stupid. After 30 years of the cases being unsolved, investigators were able to link DNA from one of the crime scenes to 73-year-old Gary Randall Mulberg. 73? Well, he wasn't 73 in 1990. It was 30 years oh, ago. Oh, I, I was going to say. I can't do math. 73 minus 38. He's already, like, basically dead. 73? He's 73 got, is the new 64. He's got both feet in I the grave. Oh, my gosh. Yes. He's old. <laughs> so, anyway, he would have been 43 back then. That's still... Don't say it. Oh, sorry. Jeez. I was going to say a little old to be committing murders, but I guess any ages. I think crazy is what crazy does. So anyway. Maybe you should just murder. Maybe, maybe that's a good I plan. don't think there's like an age limit on murder. I mean. Well, I mean. I'm sorry, but you're 43. You're not allowed to well, murder anyone because like, you're like super not young enough to murder people. You're not with it enough to kill people. I think a lot of murderers are like older, right? No. Not all of them, but well, I mean... Well, my mom's 41, and I couldn't imagine her killing someone because she's so tired all the dang time. She can't do anything unless she gets her nap in. Well, maybe after a good nap. It's dumb. You can't be 43 and killing people. Well, he was. No. Multiple people. <laughs> Multiple no. people. I refuse to believe Oh, that. my gosh. Anyway, That's I can't even. Old. You're such a baby. Anyway, <laughs> I love it. Um. So... So, the identification came when the investigators matched Mulberg's DNA, which was taken in prison, to one of the crime scenes through CODIS. After the DNA match, Detective Jody Weber visited Mulberg at the Potosi Correctional Center where he was serving a life sentence for the murder of Kenneth Atchison in 1993. So, that's why the murder stopped. It is a red flag. Yeah. So, this murder of this guy, I read about it, and it's totally unrelated, but it's also kind of weird. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell you about it because it's kind of weird. So I'm going to tell you about it. So he murders Kenneth Atchison. He like invites him to his house to do some work for him. He kills him, but he makes like a makeshift coffin what? in his basement. What? Keeps the guy in his basement in this makeshift coffin. And they wouldn't have ever figured it out if Kenneth's family hadn't known that he like left. And I think he was going to buy something from him, too. So he left with a bunch of money to, like, purchase something. And then he was also going to do some, like, work for him. Mm -hmm. But then he never came home with the money or, like, the thing. And so they looked in his basement, and there's this, like, homemade coffin with a dead body in it. And so, what obviously, he's world? in jail. So, anyway. This guy is wildin'. Yeah. For sure. Ugh. So, anyway... So he admitted to the detectives that he had killed Meehan, Pruitt, and Little. So the th first three we talked about. Mm -hmm. And then he later confessed to the murders of two other people after he was promised they wouldn't pursue the death penalty. So, like, he didn't want the death penalty, so he was like, okay, and I killed. And I think the other two, one was a Jane Doe, and mm -hmm. one was Donna Written. I feel like it's Rittmeyer. weird because, like, the last two people that you said don't really, like, match up. So I mm -hmm. feel like he just did that so he wouldn't get the death penalty because I feel like their murders don't just, like, Well, he never really confessed to, he never confessed to Sandra Kane, hmm. the one who got thrown off the bridge or hit mm -hmm. by a car, one or the other. 
And so he never confessed to that one. But she doesn't he, really like match up. Right. But he did kill Donna Rittmeyer, who was found in a rubber trash can. Yeah, but like she matches the MO. Mm-hmm. But like that other girl. Well, and she's like, these other girls are in their 20s or late teens, and mm-hmm. Donna's at 40. And so she's just kind of. Yeah. She's an outlier, but so is Sandra. Sandra's also yeah, almost 40. I so I don't too. know. But. And then he switched to a man. Is that it? Well, I think the man, I don't think that, well, yeah, he killed a man, but I don't think it was the same reason he killed those women because I think he was just crazy. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm going to put him in some kind of a container because I'm the package killer. And so, which is a terrible thing. Killer name. I know. I'd be so mad. I'd literally turn myself in and I'd be like, change my name right now. Because that's not like, listen, with me. listen, I'm the package killer, but we cannot go down in history as the package killer. Why don't we go down in history as like the cool kid killer? That's not good either. But, I you know, like I don't know. One. Something, <laughs> you know. So after 30 years, they found the package killer. Which I, when I first was reading about this, I was like, oh man, like, mail bombs or something? You know, like packages? That's what I thought too. But no. It's like, let's wrap our dead bodies in packages. That's terrible. Which is awful. Awful name. Awful name. I would press charges. Misleading. Misleading. Definitely. Definitely misleading. I thought it was going to be like, mailing bombs to politicians. Mm Mm-hmm. But no. Getting Nancy Pelosi's husband again. In 1991. But yeah. I don't know how long they've been making enemies for. (laughs) They're politicians. Right. So, anyway, I guess tips. I don't know. Because we kind of tip. We've been tipping people. That's true. You know, we we aren't doing our autopsies at home. We're being situationally aware. Mm -hmm. We are. Don't get in the car with strangers. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. If you're over the age of 30, you can't kill people. Yeah, because you're probably too tired. You're too old. You're probably too tired to murder people. Unless you take a nap, then you can. Yes, after a good nap. A good nap. Yes. <laughs> and if you ever meet someone who has a trash can in their truck. Yeah, rubber trash cans? No. And homemade coffins? Big warning flags. Yep. I think that's it on this one. Um, we have another big one. So we're actually splitting up and doing two episodes. One with this would be this one. And then Allie's, which is another big one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So stay safe. Don't get murdered. Watch out for trash cans. Trash cans will get you. Trash cans will get you. Anyway, thanks for listening. Should I give him a peace out? Peace out. Peace out, Girl Scout.